He'll never fail. We do. He doesn't. It's good to be with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 24. Luke, chapter number 24. My wife at the piano, her name is Katie, and uh, we have two little girls in the back. One is named Audrey, and the other is Juliana. Her middle name is Joyce, so we just call her JJ. And um, they have added quite a bit of fun to our life. Um, before we had kids, we got a lot of people that told us, they said, listen, having kids, man, zaps all the joy out of life. We had people tell us that. We had people say, listen, now, before you have kids, you can do anything you want. But you have kids, whew, man, and then just wait. It gets worse. Well, I went back to the Bible, and I didn't find that in the Bible. The Bible says children are a blessing and they're a heritage from the Lord. So I told the Lord, okay, I would really like that instead of what people say. And so we have a very happy, crazy, nutty, fun home. And we praise the Lord for it uh, because it's what he promises in his word when we walk after the Lord. We travel all over the United States uh, throughout the year and uh, preaching revival meetings, most of the time week-long meetings in churches, uh, mainly back east. But we have the joy every summer of being a staff evangelist at the Bill Rice Ranch of the West, which is located in Williams, Arizona. So most of the time when I tell people back east we're heading to Arizona for the summer, they look at me and say, are you a nut? I mean, Arizona, it's hot. Not in Williams. Where we are in Williams, you barely have to turn your AC on, you know, 80 degree days, uh, no humidity. It's just wonderful. And, uh, but on top of all that, we get to spend our summers out there preaching the word of God, seeing souls saved, seeing lives changed, uh, junior camp, teen camp, several teen camps. We even have deaf camp. We're deaf campers, uh, just like the main base in Tennessee, deaf campers come to the Bill Rice Ranch for free. And uh, many of them come, they just hear about some kind of an event for the deaf. They don't even send in an application, most of them. They just show up, and most of them hear the gospel for the first time. And uh, we saw two this summer, two deaf young people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, just praise the Lord for what He's doing. And we get to spend our summers out there. And uh, then we get to come visit family. And then we leave here, and we go back to Flagstaff, and we have a week-long revival meeting there, and then we go down to Rimrock, and then we go down to Catalina, which that's toward Tucson, I think. I, I, I go to Google. Okay, so anyway, and then uh, after that, then we head back east, we head back to Ohio, I get on an airplane, I, drive, I fly back to Phoenix for a youth conference in Phoenix, then I fly back, back to meet my family, then we get the rig and we head up to Michigan, right outside of Detroit, and then we go over to Pennsylvania, and after that, I cannot remember where. So I'm very thankful for a calendar app on my phone, if you understand. I had someone ask me recently, they said, so when are you going to settle down? I told them, I am. And they said, no, I mean like, not have your home on the road. Well, my home is on the road. We live in a 40-foot fifth wheel year-round, but we're pretty settled because it's not just what we do. It's who God made us to be and uh, who God enabled his gifting through. And so we absolutely love it. You ask my wife, she loves being in an RV. Our girls don't know anything better. Um, it, this, will, this will just kind of tell you how we live. 
couple weeks ago, we had a Sunday meeting in uh, Buckeye, Arizona, which is right outside of Phoenix. Well, it's a one-day meeting, so hauling um, a 40-foot rig down to Phoenix into the valley and hauling it back up for one day is pointless. It's way too expensive. It's cheaper to purchase a hotel for the night. You know what the biggest thrill to my three-year-old was? How the toilet flushed. That's when you know you live in an RV, all right? I think we cost that hotel a lot of water. Anyway, enough about us. Luke chapter number 24. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able, if you'd stand with me as you read out of respect for the reading of the Word of God, Luke chapter number 24. We'll begin reading in verse number 13. Luke chapter 24, verse number 13, the Bible writes, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. That's about seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Skip down for context's sake. Let's go to verse number uh, 28. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made, that's Jesus, as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he said at meat with them, he took bread and blessed and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Tonight I'd like to preach to you on this subject, how to get heartburn. Would you pray with me? My Father, I need you tonight. These people did not come to hear a sermon. They came to hear a message from heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your blessing upon this place. Lord, I'm going to ask you tonight very specifically that you would step down into this room tonight. Lord, I'm not going to try to be spooky or anything like that, but I do believe that where you are, the devil has no power. So I'm asking that you bind him and that you would cast him out of this place, and that you would meet with us. Holy Spirit, would you do your convicting and convincing? I can do neither. My Father, would you touch my mind that I may think right? Would you touch my mouth? Lord, I need to speak right tonight. Most of all, would you touch my heart? I need to be right. And Lord, if there is something that would stand between me and thee, so these people can, would not be able to hear from you tonight. I pray that you'd point that out right now. I've already taken care of some things, Lord, but I don't want anything else to stand in your way. Would you work tonight, I pray. And I ask this the only way I know how, through the precious name and through the precious blood of my Jesus. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Luke chapter number 24, if you understand the timeline of events, Jesus has died. Jesus, at least to these two men in the passage, 
Jesus is no longer on the scene. He's not there. And their hearts are sad. And they're taking some kind of a journey. And the Bible will tell us that these two men were his disciples. And the word disciples here does not necessarily mean one of the twelve. Just simply, these men had at one time followed Jesus. And these men, they are leaving the city that they are in. They are traveling to, on the road to Emmaus. And as they are traveling, Jesus meets them. Jesus walks up. And when I think about that, I think, well, that's pretty special. To walk with Jesus. But then on top of all that, Jesus, he's walking with them. But they didn't know who it was. And Jesus, I believe, did that very specifically so that he could deal with them where they were. So that he could take them where they were supposed to be. And in this passage, they don't know who Jesus is. They really believe he's died. Notice what happens in the passage. And go, go to verse number 16. And their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another? In other words, what are you talking about? My three-year-old asked me that a lot. I'm talking to my wife, and I hear this little voice from the back of the truck. What you talking about? Well, that's kind of what Jesus is saying. These two men have been discussing all that has happened. And Jesus steps in and he says, what you been talking about? Then he goes further and he says, as you walk, and are sad. You have to understand. Most of the people that Jesus would minister to, or would at least hear Jesus' ministry, they were convinced that the Messiah would come and set them free from captivity. They were convinced that the Messiah would set them free from the heavy hand of Rome. They were convinced that the Messiah would come and set up his kingdom. So if these two men were convinced that that's what Jesus would do, and now he is dead, and that has not taken place, that explains why they're sad. Or at least some of the reason why they're sad. But then Jesus, he steps to where they are, and he says, why are you sad? I read that and I think, Jesus, why are you asking? You are Jesus. You are God's son. You are God. And I'm not going to try to explain that tonight. And I have never heard of a preacher accurately describe that. And I don't know that we will ever figure out the Trinity till we reach heaven. But I do know that Jesus knows all. So why would Jesus look at these two men and say, why are you sad? And these men, they look at Jesus like, excuse me, like he's a nut. They asked him in the next verse, and one of them, whose name was Cleopas, verse number 18, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a excuse me, stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? In other words, have you not read the news? Have you not had your ears open? Have you not logged into social media lately? 
Don't you know the things that have been happening? And then, this strikes me as just funny. Jesus looks at him and he says, what things? Okay. Now, we think it's funny because we know that it's Jesus. We know that Jesus knows all. Then why in the world is he asking them why they're sad? Why is he saying, what things? Jesus wants to walk with his children. But in order for his children to walk with them and he with them, Jesus requires us to open our heart. Does Jesus know why they're sad? Yes. Does Jesus know what these men have gone through? Yes. Then why is he asking? Because he's looking for them to say, here it is, Jesus. Here are my burdens. Here are my concerns. Here are our dreams. This is what's happening inside of me. You say, well, Jesus already knows. I was in a church one time preaching, and I happened to slip in to the, a certain Sunday school, and as I was in there, they were asking for prayer requests. And everybody was giving prayer requests, and finally, one man said, uh, I have a prayer request for a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention any of my particular prayer requests because, you know, Jesus already knows all about those. I really don't think I have to ask him. Um, my Bible says you have not because you ask not. Doesn't it? So Jesus knows our need. And he still says, tell me. I'm not trying to be just super simplistic tonight. But Jesus says, I know, but I want you to still tell me. You say, what's the point? The point is, trust me. The point is, I'll take care of it. But you've got to open your heart. We have too many Christians closing up, holding all their, excuse me, feelings inside. And Jesus says, I'll take care of your feelings. Instead of asking for better feelings, ask for me. I'll take care of it. I just finished a book written by Watchman Nee, a preacher from years gone by. And he said he was in a home, and as he was talking to the people, the people that he was staying with, they were just, oh, they just had all of these problems, and they were sharing with them all their problems, and then they sat down to eat. And one of the individuals, I believe it was the husband, as he was praying over the meal, he said, and would you give me peace? Mr. Nee said, stop. He said, you don't need peace. You need Jesus. He is peace. We are looking for what Jesus offers without wanting him. And to get everything he offers without him will forfeit everything he offers. And these men here, yes, they're burdened. Yes, they're sad. Yes, they're overwhelmed. And Jesus says, why are you sad? Well, because of all these things, what things? Do you get the picture that Jesus is saying, stop dwelling on you. Turn it over to me. Just open your heart. Jesus knows all, but he wants us to give him all. 
He wants us to say, here's my sadness, here's my joy, here are my burdens, here are my requests. I need you. I don't just need him to answer prayer. I need him. And that's the point Jesus is making. And if you continue in the passage, it will say here in verse number, uh, let's go to verse number 19. Jesus has already said what things. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. In other words, they're telling him about him. You get that? If you go down to verse number 20. And how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Get this. Here's the point. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel and besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Did you get that? We're not trusting in him. We're trusting in what he can do to satisfy me. No wonder they rejected the Messiah. They didn't want him. They wanted what benefited them. What would make them, excuse me, feel good. Excuse me, if you're looking for feelings... You will not find them at church. I'm not trying to be mean, but I've gotten to the point where I do not, I do because I'm a preacher, but I really do not like asking people in church how they're doing. Either number one, they're going to lie to me, or number two, they're really going to tell me. <laughs> I don't know that I want to know, but Jesus says, tell me. Tell me because I am God. Because I can be trusted. Because I do not fail. And in these verses, it says we trusted in what he was going to do. And he didn't do it. So in other words, they want him back to accomplish what they think he should have done. By the way, Jesus never said he was going to conquer Rome. Jesus said he was come to seek and to save that which was lost. He never said, death to the Romans. No. So they put God in a box and said, God, this is what we think you should do for us. Instead, maybe it would just be better for us to open our hearts and say, God, you just take over. Here it is. Here it is. Here's my sadness, but you promised joy in John 15, so send joy no matter the circumstances. You promise you'll be faithful. Maybe sometimes we're so consumed with our needs that we're looking for God to answer, say, uh, for illustration's sake, answer financially, I need X amount of money. Wait a minute. Didn't God say he was going to meet our needs? So why am I looking for money? Maybe I should be looking for God. Too many Christians are relying on everything else around them instead of on the Christ who died for them and set them free and wants to continue to set you free for victorious Christian living. Keep going. Notice what it says in verse number 22. Uh, I'm not trying to be mean, 
But please look at the passage, the way that these men probably said this. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of, I don't know, angels? Can you hear kind of the skepticism in their voice? Which said that he was alive? You say, how do you know there are skeptics? Because they just told Jesus that Jesus was dead. And now they're mentioning about the women who went to the sepulcher early. And by the way, this is the same day Jesus arose. It's already told us this is the third day. So now they look at Jesus and they say, uh, yeah, and you know those women. I, they can be emotional. I'm not being mean. That's, just, it, that, that's kind of what it sounds like. Because they don't believe what the women said. By the way, the women were the first ones to the sepulcher. The women were the first one to hear from the angel that he was arisen. So don't walk out and say, I'm downing women. I'm not. I just can hear it in these two men's voices. Those women, they said that he is alive. Uh, but you know, we're just not going to believe them. He's really dead. It's kind of what they're saying. They're trying to prove their point why they have a right to not trust in Jesus. But then they continue, and in verse number 24, and certain of them which are with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. In other words, they're talking about Peter and John. Certain of us, you know, the one that, the beloved, the one that Jesus loved. By the way, I've done some study on the one that Jesus loved. John is not being proud. He's not saying, Jesus loved me. If you read the context, what he's saying is, I loved him so much. That's what he's saying. And Peter and John, they get to the sepulcher, and he's not there. And, and, and the two men here on the road to Emmaus, they're trying to prove their point. We are sad. Notice what happens in verse number 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, ouch. I, I, I almost think, Jesus, aren't we being a little harsh? Fools? I mean, Jesus, they're sad. Their dreams are crushed. And now you look at them, and it sounds as though, Jesus, you're kicking them in the teeth and saying, you fools. Finish the verse. He says, oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe. Believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, Jesus says, you are fools. I told you what would happen. I told you how to respond when the going gets tough. I gave you the first five books, Moses, and the prophets to give you prophecy. I never said that 
Rome would be conquered. You understand what I'm saying? In essence, he's saying, I told you, you did not take me at my word. You did not believe what I've said. If you want to have heartburn and walk with Jesus, number one, you're going to have to open your heart. Number two, you're going to have to allow God to tune your heart. Jesus says, I already told you what would happen. Jesus says, the truths are in my word, Moses and the prophets. And you did not believe. And isn't that where we are in our churches today? God said it. And whether I believe it or not, that settles it. It's in Genesis to Revelation. But we like to take the word of God and say, God, you didn't understand the culture. God, you didn't understand sin today. God, you didn't understand current politics. God, you didn't understand that to get people in church, we have to go to the world to get them in. God, you don't understand the truths of having a godly family. They don't work anymore. God said it. That must be enough. And he looks at these two men that are hurting. And he says, I give you comfort in my word. If you're trusting in current events, you will have trouble sleeping at night. If you're trusting in the media, you will have no peace. If you're looking at the world today, or you, excuse me, or you're looking at church today, or other Christians today, you will have no joy. We must go back to the Bible. Churches today are taking this book and they're throwing it out the window. They're saying, well, listen, this is the King James Version. It's old. It's very interesting that God promised to preserve it and it's still preserved. It would seem as if culture would change and if God would change, man would be allowed to destroy what we have. But you do realize the three books in heaven, the book of man's sin, the book of life, and the Bible? Go back to the Bible. Your preacher preaches the word of God. But it's okay to go back to the Bible. You do realize what happened when Paul preached, right? When Paul preached, they went home and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. It's okay. By the way, because I'm not in a religion, I don't have to let a man preach the Bible and me say, okay, that's what he says. I do not know your pastor well, but I do know him well enough to know this. He follows the Bible. And you can follow him as he preaches the Bible. 
So if you start following someone that's not preaching the Bible, you can't please God. So don't listen to your preacher preach and then compare it to the guy on the radio or the guy across town. Compare it to the Bible. And by the way, you'll find that he does preach the Bible. And this is a side note. If he preaches the Bible, hold up his hands. More preachers today are throwing in the towel because they're trying to do what's right. And no church member will hold up their hands. Jesus says, tune your heart. If the piano's out of tune, it sounds pretty bad. So what do you do? Well, you tune it to another piano. Now both are out. So don't tune your life to somebody else's life. Tune your life to God. Or maybe it would be better to let God tune my own life through His Word. You know, God, I don't understand why you say this in the Bible, but you say it, and so I'm going to take you at your word. And by the way, God's word will not return void. So if you say, I don't know if that will work anymore, God says, try it. By the way, it is okay to prove God. It is okay to put God to the test. And God says, and I'll still be faithful. These men get a thorough kicking in the teeth because they didn't believe the Bible. They didn't believe what Jesus had said before he had died. Now he is gone. Notice what happens. Verse number 28. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And then what happens? Jesus breaks the bread. I just wonder if these two have seen this happen before. Because as soon as he breaks the bread, they know him, and he's gone. But that's not the point. The point is what he says in verse number 28. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. In other words, Emmaus. And he made as though he would have gone further. Here's the picture I get. The three of them are walking along. And as they walk, they see an inn. Hotel, bed and breakfast, whatever. They stop. They're looking at comfort. And Jesus is still walking, and it seems as though he's still talking. And then, as he's still walking, they say, wait a minute, stop. You know what? We're getting hungry. The day is far spent. We're getting tired. I think it's time to turn in for the night. And he says, okay. And they go in, and they eat, and he's gone. And the last verse in our passage says that when he's gone, they look at each other and they say, Did not our heart burn 
within us. While he talked to us by the way. And while he opened to us the scriptures. You say, what's your point? They could have kept walking with Jesus. I don't know how long or how far. But you know, I read about a man in the Old Testament who walked with Jesus. And Jesus walked with him. And the more the walk, they walked together, the closer they got. Until finally Jesus looked at him and he said, you know, Enoch, you're closer to my house today than you are yours. Why don't you come home with me? I don't know what would have taken place had they continued to follow Jesus. But I do know this. When Jesus was gone, they will in essence say, Wow, we past tense had it good. But he's gone. When we walked with Jesus, our hearts were warm. They burned within us. We were comforted. We were set at peace. We had real joy. Now he's gone. But Jesus would stay there. And they would say that Jesus made as though he was, would have gone further. Friend, Jesus is not done with you. And he's not done with me. Jesus is not limited except the limitations that we put on him. Jesus wants to take you closer and higher than you've ever gone before. Jesus wants to show you greater truths in the Bible than you've ever seen. You say, I've read the Bible through for year after year after year. But it's a living book and when you walk with Jesus, he'll show you something fresh and new every morning. So follow him. But I hear this in a lot of churches. But I've been serving God for years. I'm tired. We'll rest when we're in heaven, friend. But there's work to do. And Jesus longs to be close to us. But the closeness of Jesus in our lives is dependent on how far we will go with him. Go ahead, put God to the test. God, I want you to speak to me. All right, I'll speak to you. God, I want you to answer prayer. Then I'll answer it. God, I depend on you for victory. Then I'll give it. But so many times, we've had our fill. I was preaching in North Carolina, and I had a gentleman come up to me after the service and say, I don't need preaching on sin. I'm 72 years old. I just need encouragement. He stopped walking with Jesus a long time ago. Maybe this one's humorous, but I was preaching in Ohio. And after church, they were meeting in kind of a multi-purpose building. And the young men were stacking the chairs. Some of the old men were too. And I saw an older man pick up his coat. And he started to head out the door and he looked right at me and he said, Preacher, I've done my time. I understand maybe there are things you cannot do anymore. But a lot of times we as Christians have the mentality, I've done my time for Jesus. I'm done. It's time for me to be comfortable. Excuse me, if you're comfortable in your Christian life, you're not right with God. I'm not being mean, friend. But if the Holy Spirit has stopped working 
you will be comfortable. And if you're comfortable, maybe you should ask the Holy Spirit to make you uncomfortable. These men, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? How far will you go with Jesus? Jesus will go as far as you want to go with him. But he will stop with you when you stop with him. Thanks for all you've done, Lord, but I can handle it now. No wonder we have so many churches that have nothing left but people and the reading of the black and red. I've been in prayer meetings where God doesn't work. That's not God's fault, that's ours. I've been in churches where God doesn't work. That's not God's fault, that's ours. And personally, I have seen many a days where God doesn't work in me. That's not God's fault. He's alive. And He wants to work. It's my fault. How far will you go with Jesus? In the summers, I do a lot of handyman work when I'm not preaching. It's a camp, so there's a lot to be done. A lot breaks and a lot needs fixing. And someone gave the camp years ago an old mule. Not the kind that goes knee-haw, but, you know, the gas-powered ATV-type idea. Throw your tools in the back. It's kind of a rust bucket, but it gets you from point A to point B. My family and I were going down from where we park our rig down to where the camp has supper. And I figure out a way. I ordered some seat belts off Amazon. And I put seat belts in the truck bed of the mule. It's safe, I promise. On one side, I figured out how to strap in the baby carrier. On the other side, I figured out how to strap in my daughter. But before I got the seat belts, I had to figure out how to get her family down. So I used the rapid strap for the baby carrier. It worked great. My wife sat beside me, and I just held our three-year-old. But the process of getting down to the camp was my wife sits in, I strap in the baby carrier with the ratchet strap so she's nice and snug and tight and safe. I get in the seat, I start the mule, and then I reach down, pick up my three-year-old, set her on my lap, and hold her tight. But my three-year-old did not know the order of events. So she saw me put JJ in the back. She saw my wife get in the seat. She saw me get in the seat. And she saw me start the mule. And she looked up at me with almost tears in her eyes and she said, Wait! What about me? When was the last time you cried out to God? Wait! What about me? I'll go with you. It doesn't matter the circumstances of life. I'll go with you to the end of the road. Just let me walk with you. But Jesus will only go with us as far as we go with Him. He wanted to go further. And they said, wait, we're hungry and tired. How far will you go with Jesus?
You know when you are no longer walking with him. Because like these men, in Luke 24, you say, there was a time when my heart burned within me to see God work, to see God show up, to see God save souls, to see God work through me, to see God touch lives through me, to see God answer my prayer. By the way, God doesn't just promise to answer the prayers of preachers. God promises to answer the prayers of his people when we just say, I trust you. I'll depend on you. I open my heart. Here are my burdens. Tune my heart to your word. And now, I will give you my heart. Take it to the end of the road. I'll follow you wherever. I'll do anything you want. How far will you go to follow Jesus? You say, preacher, that's not popular. It never has been and it never will be. But he is worthy. He will be faithful. Does your heart burn? Do you have heartburn? Do you need to get back? Preacher, I haven't been following him for a long time. Don't know what to do. Simple. First John 1 9. Confess. I'll forgive. We can walk together again. That's it. So where are you? Where am I? It's not about how good do people think I am. It's about how far will I go to follow my Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm done tonight.